available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We are counting down till we can actually get some Pac-12 football to the point where we have to do our previews. We got three weeks left, I believe, before the season starts. So we're going to do uh, four at a time. Do the math in your head. It should work out okay. We're going to start with the Pacific Northwest Schools today. We got voicemails from all the publishers uh, from the 24-7 Sports Net- Network for Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State. We'll talk about all that. David, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to hear what the uh, Pacific Northwest pubs have to say. It's going to be fun to talk about some actual football. Real football, like this is. If we were starting actually, off with, if we were starting off with, like, say, the Pac-12 South, we wouldn't be able to say that, right? <laughs> but we're starting off with the Pac-12 North, so we can say we're going to talk about some real football. We got some real football, and if you want to send us a comment or an email, uh, concern, whatever you got, you can email us pac12podcast at gmail or call or text us at four two four five three two zero six seven eight. That's the number. We got a bunch of voicemails today, but they're all from the publisher. So if you want to send one. From one of our listeners, we'd love to play those as well. You can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast. we got the Reddit page, Podcast of Champions, our website. Pac12Podcast.com has all the old episodes and maybe some random emails that you guys send us that we don't want to talk about on the air. And then also, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. The most important thing, we need the five stars. We need that. Helps grow the show. Uh, we could use that. We want to grow the show even more and make it better for all of you guys out there. Say something snarky about us, but leave us the five stars. That's all we ask. Yeah, we want to grow our show. Uh, it's a sapling right now. It needs to be a mighty oak, a <laughs> mighty redwood. Um, and right now, I would say 437 ratings. That's great. That means each one of our listeners has reviewed us, <laughs> I think, 80 times, um, give or take. So that's great. Um, but... We're going to need you guys to all step it up a little bit. Get those numbers up to like 100 times, maybe 200 times. Let's get to 1,000 ratings. Right now we're at 437. So I'm expecting this done, I don't know, by next week. Yeah, Five stars, that's all we ask. We, uh, it's compared to some of the other 24-7 sports sites, I think our listeners have been very good at the ratings because we do have a, a bunch for the, the size of the show or the, the length of the time we've been doing the show. So we'll try to uh, push that a little more and – we do appreciate when you do that. It certainly helps us out. It doesn't take much time. You know, just go on there and write something funny. You guys write us funny emails, funny tweets. Um, and so a funny review on Apple Podcasts would be very helpful. All right. I got a lot of notes today that I put in, uh, David. Real quick. Remember, we had the debate with the playoffs and the eight-game schedules and all that kind of stuff. Should it be? Oh, so you're doing – okay, cool, cool, cool. So you're doing an appeal to authority right here if we're just 
judging I, our logical I, fallacies. I appealed to authority, David Bartu, who's so like some guy with a Twitter account. Got it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Right, College Football Matrix. He's uh, does a lot of radio shows across the, the country, talking about the analytics side of things. Right, right. He does okay, a really so he's good somebody job. Somebody who talks and has a Twitter account, so it's like yes. us. A lot of uh, predictions on the college football playoff, and he actually had some points for you know just keeping it to four. But he was saying the the main point he was saying was if you want a better out of conference schedule and you want the teams in the the Pac-12 to have a better chance at the playoffs, you have to go to eight games in the conference schedule. Um, the numbers are stacked against that the 12- is that is uh, demonstrably false. All right, well. Well, if you well, go to eight and you guarantee conference winners are going to make the playoff, there is no incentive to schedule a better out-of-conference schedule. Okay. So his point was the numbers are very stacked against a 12-team conference that has nine conference games. Uh, I think Alabama and Georgia haven't played since like 2007, like in the regular season. They're playing uh, this weekend. So things like that happen. You're going to have – the Oregon's and the USC's playing all the time because you only have 12 conference teams and you're playing nine games. So he like he doesn't mind, you know, if the if the if the playoff stays at four, he says the Pac-12 should move to eight conference games to up the numbers in their favor. So I'm not saying, yeah, definitely expand, but the point was you're hurting yourself making the playoffs if you keep the nine game conference schedule. If you want to keep four, he's fine with four. And, you know, I'd rather see eight, but he's saying for the conference, yeah, you're going to give yourself a much better chance of making it if you go from nine conference games to eight. And I would say that's complete window dressing. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Uh, But the way they could guarantee uh, making the playoffs is having a good enough team to make the playoffs. If they had a good enough team to make the playoffs, that team wouldn't be stacking up two or three losses in conference. They'd be good enough to make the playoffs. So what, what the situation, as we've described the last couple of weeks discussing this exact same topic, uh, is that Pac-12 hasn't been good enough. And when the Pac-12 has been good enough, they've made it. What you do when you go to eight is you make it automatic, which means if ASU had knocked off Stanford that one year, they would have made it as an undeserving Pac-12 entry. Every single year there would be a Pac-12 entry that more than likely is undeserving. Um, and that's fine if we just want to go for like, Fun and stupid playoff, that's fine. Um, but if we're trying to determine a winner, like determine an actual best team in college football, the one that actually has, you know, the the makeup of a of a true champion, then I don't know. The system as it works right now seems to be doing a good job of determining that. Well, I would just say for the Pac-12, you can't control what the playoffs doing. Larry Scott tried; he tried to expand, but if you're if you know it's for and you know the deck is pretty much stacked against you, even if you have a deserving team. In what team, way is it stacked against them besides the fact that they have bad teams? Despite the fact, it, it, besides the fact that the best teams in the conference have not been good enough, in what way else is this? Because if you have a good team, they're playing, everyone else has a nine-conference game schedule. Can you extra to losses. the good team that the Pac-12 has had that has missed the playoff that was Did good it, enough to make it? Last weekend... I did a crazy hike called Cactus to Clouds. It's insane. <laughs> you start at sea level. So we're getting into the Palm weird Springs. analogy part before you give me an exact example. I'm going to give you the, the weird analogy team. so you just so – just, <laughs> that the beard – <laughs> that thing under your beard needs to stop flapping for a bit. So I'm at Palm, uh, Palm Springs. 
I'm, you have to hike up over 10,000 feet to get to the top, okay? I was good enough, I did it, and then you hike back down to the tram. It took me 16 hours. It was a long freaking day. You start at 1 in the morning. Now, I saw a video of some, now I'm going to, some jerk that had never done it before and, like, went up and then ran all the way down. It was even, it was cactus to clouds to cactus, not even going to the tram and coming down. It really sort of pissed me off. It was, like, the first time I ever did anything like that. I wasn't as good as that guy. I mean, I was good enough to finish, and that's not, that's a, you know, good enough that, you know, that's good. But I wasn't as good as that dude. What I'm saying is, could I have made it if I brought less water or didn't have enough food? Um, I might have been able to make it, but I want to stack the deck in my favor. I want to give myself the best chance to finish this stupid cactus to clouds hike. So I bring as much water as I can carry. I got all this food. I'm ready to go. Did my training. Now, if I don't That's make an it, I don't make for, it. for like how how can you be satisfactory? How can you get to a point where you are able to finish a thing, which I guess in this context is making the playoff. Right. I think we're talking about two different things. I don't give a shit if the Pac-12 makes the playoff. They should have a team that's good enough to actually win it, which they are more than capable of doing. You don't need to get into this weird analogy about water. The Pac-12 has enough water. What it doesn't have is programs that are run well enough to have won it very recently. Washington four years ago was good enough to make it. And they gave Alabama a little bit of a game, and that was like super Alabama. And that was fine. Uh, Oregon was good enough to make it. Um, and if you just expand your scope of like looking at history beyond the last six years where there actually has been a playoff, there are so many teams just in the last 20 years where the Pac-12 hasn't actually been that good that would have made the playoff and very likely would have won it. All those USC teams, Oregon throughout the like mid-section of the last 20 years, Stanford a couple of times. There have been a bunch of teams who have been good enough to do this. We don't need to get into the Pac-12 is just the little sisters of the poor, and we need to change all the rules just so they can get in every year and what? Get their, like— whatever their bad team smoked in the playoff, who cares? Why, like, why do that when you can go play in the Rose Bowl and beat Iowa? Beat the crap out of Iowa every year. That's fine. The Pac-12's tradition can just be beating the hell out of Iowa. That's fine. <laughs> it doesn't need to be going in and being a sacrificial lamb for LSU when you don't have a team that's not good enough, when you have a team that's not good enough. When you have a team that's good enough, you're going to get in in the four-team playoff. There, there's certainly rare circumstances where – Every single conference has an undefeated champion, right? That might happen in the future. But guess what? It hasn't happened yet. So we can get into all the hypotheticals for the situations where the Pac-12 might get screwed. But the proof of the matter is the Pac-12 has not yet gotten screwed. There's not been a screwing that's happened. What has happened is the Pac-12 has not been good enough. And if the Pac-12 is good enough, as it has been twice in the playoff era, it gets in. Yeah, I mean, to me, making the playoffs is important. And I would just like to see the Pac-12 teams be on an even playing field. If if the guys I'm hiking with have the newest shoes and great poles and an awesome pack and and I'm going like with uh, you know, combat boots, you know, like I don't like yeah, I could still I could still climb to the top. If I'm a really good hiker, I'm still gonna get the top in my combat boots and a knapsack. But I would rather have like the latest and greater. So if our team they does make it, they are on the they're... most even playing field possible. It's a hundred yards, you know. Except for UCLA. UCLA, it's about eighty on the practice field. But everywhere else, it's a hundred <laughs> yards. It's an even playing field. You just have to be good enough on there. And the Pac-12 hasn't been. And that's it. That's that's the sum total of the argument is that people 
who really want this 18 playoff from a Pac-12 perspective. They want it because the Pac-12 hasn't been good enough. All but right. the simple reality is they can be. It's not like there's something preventing it from happening. There's just, you know, they just have to, you know, Crystal Ball has a chance to get it there with Oregon, right? In the next couple of years, maybe, at the way they're recruiting. USC is always, what, two years away, tops? UCLA is, again, just a return trip 30 years ago. Like, all you got to do is get that DeLorean and UCL and a big enough DeLorean, like right <laughs> one that can, like, tow a bus of the players and just take them all back to 1986. And then UCLA is right back in it. Um, but all these things are possible, right, if we believe in uh, Einstein's theory of relativity and space-time and all that kind of stuff. So um, my main point here is that uh, Dave Bartu, also wrong. All right. Well, we'll have to get Dave on, and I'll let you guys uh, hash it out. I'll just I'll sit on the side and drink a Fresca or something. Sounds good. Um, we got uh, – so Stanford did start practice. Uh, they actually went full pads. I believe it was on uh, – today's Thursday. We're taping this, I believe, on Wednesday. How many so, guys could touch, the, could touch the ball? I think everyone could touch the ball. I believe the restrictions are lifted. Uh, they were practicing outside of the area, I, I, I believe. Um even San Jose State is coming back, and I don't think they have daily testing. So there must have been some more exemptions made. Um, but the California schools are going. It, it it was sort of a reluctant thing. It was like a last, you know, basically like Stanford started their first full pads practice right when they could. I'm not sure how practicey the other days were, but they're they're on schedule now. Just things are getting a little slower. And, um, you know, when you got bureaucrats and stuff involved, but that's going. So that's good. So everyone's practicing, it seems like, in the Pac-12. Um, and, uh, our buddy who was on the show, Mike Yam got a job with the NFL network. So congrats to Mike. Yeah, that's great news. And, uh, obviously I wouldn't have expected anything less. I figured he would get himself work very quickly. Um, but it sounds like a pretty plum gig. Um, you know, NFL network anchor, um, Wilner made a good point about the, the subscribership relative to the PAC 12, and he's going to get seen by a lot more people um, on that network than he ever got seen on uh, the PAC 12 network. So I'm sure his career is just taking off there um, and we'll be seeing him. I'm sure, you know, doing all kinds of uh, cool stuff in the future. So congrats to Mike Yam. Yeah. Congrats. I'll ch- and he's probably going to be down here because they're based in uh, LA. So he might be uh, in our neck of the woods. Now he might move down from the Bay area. We'll have to, we'll reach out to him and get some, uh, Maybe we'll get him back on again or something. Cool. Did you like Gonzado's uh, Bloody Larrys? Like that was he was calling like the 9 a.m. Pac-12 games. Pretty funny. Um, the, the, the thing is, I I think we might all come to like the 9 a.m.s. I mean, obviously, there's a big group of people who tailgate who are going to hate that and hate me for saying that. Um, but I don't know, man. I would like to wake up in the morning and not have to watch like whatever crappy Big Ten game is on. Like, I'd love to watch Pac-12 football at 9 in the morning. I would love to watch Pac-12 football from when I wake up at 9 in the morning on a Saturday until, whatever, 11 p.m. when the final game ends. That sounds great to me. And, yeah, I get there's some concerns about that from, like, a fan viewership standpoint or whatever. But is it any more of a concern than a Thursday night game or a Friday night game? Especially in L.A. Um, no, this sounds great. I see no I problem it, with it. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... I think it's cool. I, lo- I loved his little, uh, you know, the the phrase he coined there. But um, oh no, I, lo- I love it. That's that's a good one, Bloody Larry. It's awesome, and that's I, a great point. You can get drunk at nine in the morning tailgating people, 
Like you're just you're limited by the bounds of your own imagination if you're getting like thrown off by a 9 a.m. kick on Saturday morning. Like you just said. need to get in gear and get there at four in the morning. And look, we were all in college, or a lot of us were in college once. If if you haven't gotten drunk at seven in the morning, you haven't lived. <laughs> I mean, some breakfast burritos and mimosas, like I'd I'd be down for that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good man. with that. Are you a Bloody Mary guy or more of a mimosa? No, uh, no, I can't do tomato juice. Uh, I yeah, can't I'll do either. I'll do mimosas. Um, you know, any kind of like the champagne type drinks, I'll do those. Uh, but Bloody Mary with I, I, I can't drink tomato juice just by itself. Like all that V8 juice and all that kind of crap, I can't do it. I'm not Nasty. into it either. And I don't like uh, I don't like muddled drinks like mojitos. Like I don't like food in my drink. Does that oh, make and sense? I also like, I never want to mix spicy with alcohol that's not my thing oh. i know it's some people's thing but i i don't want that uh what was it um, well my big thing and this is an important thing to remember about me i like things that taste good so <laughs> things that taste bad like bloody mary's where like i guess the 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 like desire there is to like hurt yourself I, I, it's, it doesn't appeal to me also like extremely spicy peppers and stuff no i don't like those because First, they don't taste good. And second, it hurts to eat them. Um, and I think, you know, maybe everyone needs to just kind of reconsider that thing. The main thing with eating is to um, give yourself nutrition and then also uh, to have it be an enjoyable experience, uh, not to hurt yourself. So yeah. I don't know. Just everyone put that in your brain noodle. Like, let's 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 all think on that together. Um, and the other thing uh, what came out this week was the 24-7 Sports started in 2015 doing a team talent composite. So the 2020 version came out. Basically, it'll talk, look at your uh, each team's entire roster and rate you know what they were in high school, five stars, four stars, things like that, and, uh, and rank them. So over, not just the recruiting class, but the overall roster. But if you had – if you signed like a four-star safety – you know, last year, but he transferred out of the program, then he's no longer counting. So your recruiting rankings don't change when a whole bunch of transfers, but this is something where they just look at your entire roster, what they were ranked in high school and, and give everybody a, a team ranking. You can argue it's a, I think it's a decent indication of what kind of, you know, talent, talent are on different teams. Obviously players develop things like that. There are a few weird things. Um, they use the official rosters cause the stat company they're using and I know there's some schools that haven't removed players that have opted out, like Oregon's players haven't opted out. So they might be a little inflated as far as their rankings go. Um, Cause you still got like a Penny Sewell, like a five-star guy there that's no longer there. So little caveat that some of the schools haven't removed all of their opted out players, but I don't know. Did you see this at all, Dave? Yeah, I did. Um, I thought, so obviously I'm, uh, you know, I cover UCLA, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it from that perspective, but that was one of the most, um, I won't say shocking because I knew it was happening, but still. So first, the UCLA roster still has some guys in it, I think, who are not at UCLA anymore. And even still, they went from it's actually noted in the story. They went from the 11th most talented roster in 2015, which was basically the peak of the Jim Mora era, not from a success on the field standpoint, but from a talent in the program standpoint to now 31st, which puts them behind. ASU in the league, Stanford in the league, Washington in the league, Oregon and USC. 
UCLA is now a middle-of-the-pack talent program in the league, and I think it still kind of is a little bit hard for UCLA fans to get their minds around because the big thing for the longest time is that UCLA is a massive underachiever, right? That UCLA, you know, it has the talent, it always has the guys, and it just has never had the coaching or the schemes or whatever, what have you. Uh, They don't have the talent anymore. Um, this is now a top 31-ish program. And sure, they're still underachieving because this is UCLA. Uh, but they're a middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 program talent-wise. Um, and I thought that was one of the most, um, I don't know, eye-opening things from this for me. Um, and I think I tweeted it out earlier, but I'll just say it on here too. Uh, this kind of made it definitive for me that Chip Kelly now has an extremely strong argument that I myself would argue to – be the worst coach in UCLA history because you're now combining um, sub-tier Neuheisel results on the field um, where he's been as bad as Rick Neuheisel's uh, worst seasons and not yet as good, we'll see, um, as his best, with kind of sub-level Durrell recruiting. Uh, We've never seen that before because Durrell performed on the field much better than Neuheisel did, and Neuheisel at least loaded up the program for Jim Mora uh, Chip's doing neither. He's not winning on the field. He's not stocking the team with talent. Um, this program, look, UCLA is never truly dead um, because there is a recruiting base there. Um, but it's going to be at its absolute lowest point whenever this thing is whenever this thing is over. Wow, a little sobering thought there. Uh, yeah, there. Um, Barton Simmons did a good analysis piece to go along with. I'll I'll give you like a rundown of where everyone goes. But he mentioned three Pac-12 teams. You talked about the UCLA portion. They're in the trending down section. Um, USC was in the underachiever section. Uh, They started off as the number two team in 2015, 2016 overall talent. Dropped to number three in 2017, the year they won the Pac-12. They were number four in 2018 when they went five and seven. So it doesn't get much more underachieving than that. Uh, And then they were number four again last year. This year they fell down to number 10. So significant drop off after having uh, the a really bad recruiting class in 2020. So they were looked at as an underachiever along with Texas. And then uh, Oregon was trending up. Um, so they had moved up, you know, they had uh, number 25 talent in 2018. And then two years later, now they're number 12. Now there's guys like Penny Sewell and that aren't going to be on there. They might not be, they're probably still top 15. I don't know the numbers behind it, but they still have a bunch of guys that opted out that aren't, that really aren't on the roster, but still, they're trending in the right direction uh, under Mario Cristobal. But those are the three Pac-12 teams. The two LA teams, nothing positive to say about them uh, and something really positive about the uh, about Oregon. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think this is a good indication of the trajectory for Oregon um, because they're still kind of offloading some classes that weren't super great. Um, and they've been basically recruiting at a maniacal level for a while now. So I think you're going to see them crack the top 10 if they can keep this up for a couple more years. Yeah, I think by next year they can pass USC. So that was the, you know, USC was not touchable when they were in the top five the whole time. Drop it all the way to number 10, and then USC will drop off most likely after that too. So I think Oregon will have a chance to pop up there. But overall, just the ranks of the programs. You have like the top six are all in the top half, basically, of the Power Five, like 31 so USC and, and Oregon, we mentioned one and two. Washington's third. Stanford's fourth. They're in the 20s. Then Arizona State is 30. And I believe UCLA is 31. So those are the top right. six. 
And Utah's coming in at 39. Yeah, Utah 39. And then it drops off some. You have Colorado, uh, California, which is a little surprising. They're down number nine. Um, Only six four-stars on the roster. Uh, Oregon State, uh, number 10. Um, And then Washington State and Arizona are 11 and 12. And they are really at the very bottom of the Washington State, Arizona, talent-wise, are at the bottom of the Power Five. The only schools... In the Power Five, below Washington State and Arizona are uh, Kansas and Kansas State. So they're all kind of lumped in all night right next to each other in like the 60s. So well, good um, thing they're seeing that Kevin Sumlin recruiting bump, right? Yeah, right? there's something. Yeah. Right. No. So. <laughs> so I don't mean seeing Cal as good as they are to be number nine. Obviously, that's an overachieving thing. We know Utah develops players, so. That's not as big of a surprise. But like you said, UCLA being where they were, usually there's just enough four-star guys on there um, you know, to, to have a bigger bump. And uh, they just don't have it right now. I mean, Washington has four, 42 four-star guys and UCLA has 14. Like, that's, that's probably not right. No, it's, I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a clear indication that late period Jim Mora was pretty bad and early period Chip Kelly is uh, the worst coach in UCLA history. Yikes. Uh, all right. So I want to talk about that. Um, there was also a petition that went around for players' families to attend games. That passed, right? Um, so if it's going to be up to the local, uh, you know, uh, whatever, health officials, if you can do that. I don't think the California schools are going to be able to do that. But uh, it seems like everyone else, they're probably going to be able to. So I don't know, did you see that? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I saw it. Um yeah, it'll probably depend on local health for California, but I don't know. I, I, I don't have any strong feelings about that one way or another. If you're talking about player families, unless, I mean, are they going to get an allotment of people to come or are they going to bring, you know, a million cousins? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but, you know, if it's only families, it's a stadium. You can spread them all out. It shouldn't be too bad. Are they going to spread out? They're not going to spread out. Come on, buddy. Did you see... Uh, yeah, there's some weird stuff that's been going on. Um, the uh, we also had a Wilner bomb. Did you see that at all? Like the I uh, did. the hotline investigation. Uh, really, I mean, looking at what Wilner was saying, and it it just kind of was baffling to me. I definitely go check it out. Check out his tweets. Check out his story. But that when all this was going on, and the Pac-12 was trying to figure out, you know, how to come back. The fact that they were worried about basketball coming back and really just didn't think football was going when basically the, all the momentum was for everyone to get football to come back. And the Pac-12 still wasn't even thinking about it. They were looking at, well, we could start basketball a little early. We, you know, they were the only conference that, that postponed basketball, too, I believe, to January. So they were looking to backtrack on that a little bit. They weren't even thinking about football. I mean, it was just it was pretty baffling to me, even for Larry Scott. I don't know what you thought. I mean, you got to put yourself back in that moment because a lot of the conversation coming in, even from Wilner, was that the Big Ten might decide to come back, but the Pac-12 is definitely not. Um, and that was kind of the the thing for a while. And then that week, things got really crazy when the Big Ten finally did announce that it was coming back, and then the movement kind of started. Um, but I think I, I would imagine it was... Uh, I don't even know after the Quidel testing, and I think that was, or Quidel, what are we saying? Quidel, I believe, yeah. Sure. 
um, that uh, they were thinking maybe we'll start in December now. Um, but it wasn't any thought that, okay, now we can rush through and get it back. And I don't think that was at any level until the Big Ten decided what it was going to decide. Um, and then I think they felt a lot of public pressure. I thought the note about um, the USC players letter being the main force or a big part of the force to do it, that rings true to me because a lot of the narrative that Wilner himself was saying was that the Pac-12 was going to, you know, they, there was no way they were coming back to play for a while. And then that kind of shifted when all of that kind of public pressure started. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, as we said at the time, I think not having the contingencies in mind, not having a backup plan, not having any of this groundwork laid on the off chance you might come back um, speaks to a, uh, I mean, I think it speaks to a lack of leadership um, because, the, you know, a lot of these people were lower level people, right, who are in charge of, you know, getting the local health clearances and working with the different schools and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think they got enough direction from Larry Scott on, you know, what kind of groundwork they would need to lay, what they would need to do just to prepare for the whatever they thought it was, 2% chance that they actually come back to play early. Um, but I think there was a lack of vision about how public pressure might work on them and uh, a lack of leadership, probably a lack of communication from Larry Scott to his uh, various team members. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I mean, we all know what needs to happen. This has to go forward. They need to go in, in, in another direction. And, um, you know, it's tough. You work for the presidents and the presidents aren't going to be the most. They all want to be on the same page. And, um, you know, they didn't take that vote the first time they could have. And I think they needed a real leader that was that could sense what was going on. Like you said, have the vision to know we're going to get left behind and you squeeze the season in. But. If you did it right, you could have got the similar season to what the Big Ten did. And then you would still be like kind of on the same page there. And I think with a nine-game schedule, you have a little bit better shot of making things than you do with the seven. But, um, you know, that was really kind of a lack of vision. And there's also been a lot of criticism, David, about the Pac-12 networks. You know, not showing any of the football games. That's half of Larry Scott's salary. What's going to happen? Are they going to go away? I think Canzano reported that some of the guys, like 50 people that were furloughed, would be able to come back uh, sometime soon. So you assume they'll be able to produce some of those other sports and stuff. But I don't know. Do you feel like this is a, you know, the network could, you know, retool, like close down for a while and retool? Or I, I don't know how it's going to work, but they got to do something. They can't just keep going on. I mean, you're having a football season without any football games on the Pac-12 networks. And you got seven channels like that. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's no way this year. I think they're probably going to have to shut down at some level. I don't know how any of this stuff works, but they might have to shut down at some level and relaunch later. Um, but I don't. I, I, what content are they going to even have? I mean, the off-season content on the Pac-12 has been pretty slim forever. Um, but they're not going to have any of these minor sports for a lot of the time. Um, they're not going to have any football. So what? What are they even going to show? What is it worth it to pay salaries to show? I, I understand there's probably contractual obligations to show some things, but what? I have no idea. Um, so I don't know. Just shut the thing down. It's a loser. Yeah. It's been a loser. I understand it. If you're going to be able to play a lot of football games on it, maybe you are, are still projecting ahead. But um, losing a year of whatever you get from that, 
Um, no, it's a complete loser. Shut the whole thing down tomorrow. Um, and it's unfortunate for the people who work there, obviously, but uh, it would just be happening in a few months anyway. Um, make the proactive decision now, and maybe you'll be able to re- relaunch as a single, you know, serve channel or whatever, um, not this whatever four channel setup they have now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they've got to retool. They've got to, they've got to think about this some more. And if they want to relaunch in the future, do it in a much smarter way. Um, I thought that whole thing was eye opening about just what a disaster it was just kind of from the jump with none of them knowing how to run a network. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, it was a, I think it's been a failed experiment. Um, and it's unfortunate because a lot of the people who work there are great. And a lot of the stuff they've done is great. Like those football and 60 things. I love those. I wish they had whatever paid a little bit more money so they could have gotten every single game. Think about how invaluable that would be to you. And just, I mean, obviously fans would like it too, but in the course of our jobs, if we could just watch 60 sec, uh, 60 minute cutups of all these games over again, just get them all though. Pay for the rights to the 60 minute cut up of the ESPN games too. Um, but I don't know, just a lack and of have vision. Them on maybe demand. They, can, yeah, they weren't even they, on demand, right? Like you'd have to watch them when they came on. Like No, they were on demand. You could find could you them. Get them? But, that, but that was the other thing. The, the website sucks. Their website yeah. has always sucked. Actually, let me see something. I didn't I think you could see... get those because I think I tried and like you had to find them when they were airing. And, no, you could find them. them. They were in the videos section of the website. Okay. Um, I'm going to see if they have yet bought pack12.org or if it's still. Oh, they finally did. Oh, look at them. So up until like a year ago, they still didn't own pack 12 without the hyphen. They didn't own it. Cool. Somebody now they finally that. do. Nice. Good for them. No, good I think it's a good point, though. I think. Oh, wait, no, no, no. It was. Sorry. Sorry. No, they still don't own pack12.com. Oh, who owns that, or where does that go to? It's just, it's just a like a, buy it a park site that you can buy. Yeah. Do you think Larry Scott could use some of his salary to buy that thing? The um, owner of Pack12.com, okay, is offering it for sale for an asking price of fifty thousand dollars. That is extremely worth the money. Extremely worth the money. Yeah. Especially when you pay your commissioner five million a year, so that's that's nice. But I, I agree with you. I think I don't think Larry Scott would shut it down because that's his baby. It would have to be the president's going, you know what? We're not showing any football games. This isn't working. Let's close it down and we'll retool it. Um, and then obviously that would be that would tell everyone it's the end of Larry Scott's career there. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. They're going to just, you know, keep it keep it afloat however they can. But it's just I mean, with no football games like I, I mean, who's going to watch it? Like, it's just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I doubt they're going to do those road trip things where they're trying to do like, you know, the pregame stuff. I'm sure all that stuff is, it's off the table. Um, One last little note I had is that Jalen Dixon, the wide receiver from Utah, he announced he's going to transfer. Um, So he was the highest graded returning pack receiver. He had a little over a thousand yards in his first two seasons in Salt Lake. So um, another dude in the transfer portal, but you know, um, there's been some guys that have come back too, and we'll go into more details of all those stuff when we do, uh, when we do our, um, previews for each school. Awesome. And before we get the previews, I just want to tell everyone about my bookie. 
between the NFL, college ball, and Major League Baseball playoffs. Dodgers won last night. Scored seven, 11 runs in the first inning. That was crazy. There's no shortage of games to watch. Uh, and with thousands of lines available on all of your favorite sporting events, you can turn your game day into a payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy that likes to back the big favorites, put some money on maybe a parlay for a bigger payout. Uh, they, you know, The parlays will make those meaningless games a little bit more exciting. But more importantly, they give you a chance to turn an ordinary bet into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. Ton of value there. We've seen so many upsets. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Any team can win, and you can too. Game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. So sign up at my bookie. When you do, use our promo code PAC12 to get claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code PAC12 for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. There's stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets. All the major sports and more. Sign up today. Begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. All right, David. We got to preview the uh, Pacific Northwest schools. Is there anywhere you want to start with first? Where would you like to go? Uh, I want to start with Oregon State. All right. So let's go. We get to everyone that likes these. We get to do them. Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> Yes, I love hearing that sound. I love hearing that. That's a very good start, David, because of the chainsaw. I like it. It's great. We're revving up. Yeah. Um, So Oregon State, uh, I'll just go over their schedule real quick. They got Washington State at home, on the road against Washington. Cal at home. They got Oregon at home on a Friday night. Only one Friday game for the, the Beavs. Then they have two road games at Utah and at Stanford to close out the six game schedule. Obviously, we don't know. The seventh game. Um, you want me to play uh, Angie's voicemail? Or is there any thoughts you have before we go into it? No, just um, I'm I'm interested to hear what Angie has to say. I know Oregon State has lost a little bit, including Jake Luton um, and Isaiah Hodgins. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can uh, retool with offensively. I like that defense. I think it's growing into itself a little bit. Um, they've been one of the better programs to watch the last couple of years, just the way they've grown. Um, and I think Jonathan Smith has done an excellent job there. And I'm interested to see what he does now that the, you know, the, the experience will be set back a little bit, um, whether they uh, continue to grow or whether it's a, you know, maybe a small step back. So I'm interested to hear what Angie has to say. Me too. And uh, so just a little, a few of those little caveats. I, I agree with Dave on the defense. I think it's going to be improved. Could be one of the, you know, in the top half of the, the Pac-12. Uh, you, you know, third seasons for, you know, for Jonathan Smith, but also both of his coordinators. So there's some continuity there. They did get five spring practices in. So that's, you know, usually on the upper end of what Pac-12 programs were able to do. So there's some positives um, of them getting ready. But let's play the voicemail and see what Angie has to say. Hey, this is Angie Machado with Beaver. Oregon State fall camp. On offense, the Beavers have some big shoes to fill as they look to replace the production from wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins, who left early and was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, and quarterback Jake Luton, who was drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. They also have to bring in and break in three new offensive linemen. 
In the first week of camp, Tristan Jebbia looks to be the player to beat at quarterback. The former Nebraska quarterback is in his third fall at Oregon State and is very comfortable running the Beavers' offense. I also also getting looks is junior college transfer Chance Nolan from Saddleback College and true freshman Ben Goldbranson, along with Nick Moore. Beaver fans might remember Nick Moore's older brother, Matt Moore, who was a star for the Beavers back in the day. No timetable has been given for naming a quarterback, the starting quarterback, but coaches should have a better idea after Saturday's first scrimmage. We are also hearing that Hodge, uh, Hodgins will be replaced by a wide receiver by committee this year. Early reports are that true freshman Zariah Beeson has been a standout. The Beavers also have more speed at the position than I've seen actually in several years. This year at running back, the Beavers did lose Artavis Pierce, who had a great season last year before uh, being drafted or picking up, picked up by the Chicago Bears. But Jamar Jefferson, a former All-American, freshman All-American, is 100% after playing his sophomore season injured. Also look for B.J. Baylor to step in and see a lot of action during the 2000, 2020, 2020 season. He uh, actually really has great vision. The coaches like that, and he's super hard to bring down. Defensively, the Beavers are the strongest at linebacker. Pac-12 sack leader Hamil Rashid is back and joined by a productive group, including Avery Roberts and Omar Spate. Through the first five days, we've heard that the defense has taken it to the offense, led up front by Simon Sandberg and Isaac Hodgins. They also brought in a JC transfer, Tavis Shippen, who uh, should help steady that, that front. The defense is playing with tremendous confidence right now and has some swagger to them. We've heard... Lots of stories about the defense winning the day. We look for the Beavers to be improved this season, and they may surprise a team or two. Consistency across the board within the coaches has led to little to no disruption, and players are familiar with schemes and terminology. By day one, for example, the offense had already installed over a third of the offensive plays. For more on Oregon State, make sure to check out beaverblitz.com. Nice, Angie. Oh, it's a good one. Wow, she, she, she responded to you. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, that was great stuff from Angie. Um, so, so she's not usually a smoke blower. She's no. not, she, she's not usually gassing them up. So for her to say, she thinks they're going to be improved again this year. That's honestly in the, in the back of my mind, that's what I was kind of thinking for Oregon state, even with all the losses, because, um, it's just they've gotten better on both ends each year, even with, you know, some some differences from year to year. Um, I do love their running back room. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned B.J. Baylor because he was he really opened my eyes last year and, you know, kind of limited relief duty. Um, but they had, they had three stud running backs last year and our Davis Pierce, Jamar Jefferson and B.J. Baylor. And now they've got two. Um, but a healthier Jamar Jefferson is going to be great to have. Um, so. Yeah, I think, um, once again, I'm going to have to adopt the team because UCLA is going to be fart noise. Um, so I think it's got to be Oregon State again for me. Nice. Uh, you're going to adopt Oregon State? I like it. Uh, no, I'm glad she brought up some of the points we talked about, the improved defense, the uh, stability on the coaching staff. I think all that stuff helps, especially you know during uh, this pandemic. I mean, having that continuity is good. It's a little concerning. you got to break in a, a few new offensive linemen. Uh you know, it's, I think they had one opt out, um, it had a couple of starts, but you know, you lose some guys to graduation and you know, it's a, it's, it can be an, it, it can be a big deal, but I think Tristan Jebbia has got, you know, got some experience like she was talking about. You got a really good group of running backs. 
Um, it's going to be tough to replace an Isaiah Hodgins, but you know, you got the Pac-12 sack leader coming back. You got a bunch of pieces on on defense coming back. On defense, it looks like this improved. You got, you know, if you look at the schedule, you think they can beat Washington State at home in the opener? I that seems like could be a, a good That's win, doable. you know, for sure. Totally doable. Uh, I mean, on the road at Washington and Cal at home, a little tougher in Oregon. Like that's that's a pretty okay. tough. No, Cal at home is totally doable. I mean, I think Cal is going to be pretty good this year, um, or better than they were last year. But they're still a ball control, defense oriented team. I mean, they're going to play a lot of three and seven point games. Um, Oregon State, I don't, I don't think they're like several rungs down the ladder from Cal. Um, yeah. Oregon State was decent last year. Like, they were decent, and if they can find an answer at quarterback, they could very well be decent again, if not a little bit better. And a decent team at home, and, and Reeser Stadium, I mean, obviously it's going to be empty, but going to Corvallis isn't easy. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think they'll be a tough out at home, and uh, maybe they steal one or two. Yeah, I think I would feel a little bit better um, if Stanford was earlier in the schedule instead of the last game, like I think Stanford's one of those teams. If you get early, there's they're going to be like still getting up to speed, you know. So yeah. like if they open with like Stanford and Washington State, like I could see Oregon State starting off two and zero. They get them last, so Stanford might be a little bit more ready by that point. But who knows? But yeah, it's, I think there's reason for optimism uh, in Corvallis, so I like it. Yep. Uh, let's go to Oregon Ducks. <laughs> The Ducks, Pac-12 champs, Rose Bowl champs, a uh, few opt-outs, but, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Justin Herbert starting for the Chargers. He's Everyone's raving about him, even though he's 0-4, but he's he's looked good. Uh, you know, Petty Sewell opting out, sort of a big deal. Some defensive backs, but they got some guys back. Um, you know, Lenore coming back is, is, is a nice thing. Uh what do you think overall, um, you know, for the Ducks? They're still my pick to win the league. Um, I think, uh, you know, looking at the schedule, they did get gifted UCLA. Um, but they have to make it through, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 North gauntlet, which um, they've stacked their two toughest games the last two, most likely, um, in Cal uh, on the road on December 5th, and then Washington uh, at home on December 12th. Um, so I, I would anticipate them being 4-0 at that point. But that's, I mean, that's a tough road. Then they've got to do Cal, Washington, whatever that seventh game ends up being for them, which is more than likely going to be the Pac-12 championship game. So let's just say what it more than likely is going to be. It's going to be Cal, which is a top, what, four or five team in the league this year, most likely. Then Washington, which is a top three team in the league this year, most likely. And then USC, which will be the number two team in the league this year. That's a really tough run there at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I think they should have a good amount of time to tune up. Um, but they did stack this a little bit um, at the end side for them. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they finish. Yeah. Stafford at home at Washington State. I mean, should be 2-0. UCLA at home on a Friday should be three and zero. Oregon State uh, on the road on a Friday I don't know but probably four zero. But then you're right, week five at Cal and then Washington at home. So uh, no bye weeks before Washington or anything like that. And it's like you said, it's going to be a 
a tough little stretch there at the end for the Ducks. But, you know, I think they can build it's – it's a schedule that you can obviously build up some momentum. And if you want a team to make the college football playoff and maybe there's a bunch of other programs that, you know, you know, you see games delayed, things like that, and, and they don't get to play as many games in other conferences – and you got a shot in the Pac-12, this is a schedule I think that would build you up and, and give you momentum at the time you would need it. All right, well, let's play the Oregon Ducks uh, preview. Hey, guys, it's Kevin Wade of Duck Territory, 247sports.com. The Oregon Ducks returned to the practice field uh, through five practices of fall camp. The pads are coming on, and there's a lot to, to know about the Ducks so far. Offensively, the Ducks, the biggest storyline, they're having to replace quarterback Justin Herbert. Right now, that battle is between sophomore Tyler Shuck and graduate transfer Anthony Brown Jr. out of Boston College. Mario Cristobal announced last week that Tyler Shuck was opening fall camp with the ones with Anthony Brown competing with the twos. Did not say that Tyler Shuck would be the starter going forward in the season, but right now that's where the things stand. The two are competing to be the starter when the Ducks open on November 7th against Stanford. The big storyline on the offense as well as quarterback is offensive line. The Ducks are replacing five starting offensive linemen. They were only planning on replacing four, but Panay Sewell, the generational NFL talent, elected to opt out and head to the draft early. He won't be with the team. So Oregon is having to figure out how to replace Panay Sewell. On the defensive side of the ball, they had to replace Troy Dye, four-year starting linebacker who's with the Minnesota Vikings now. So they're looking to Isaac Clayton Latuya to replace him a junior, but there's also the five-star freshman Noah Sewell and Justin Flo who are looking to make their impact on this defense. At defensive back, the Ducks lost Thomas Graham Jr., Javon Holland, and Brady Breeze to the draft. Jamador Lenore, a cornerback, elected to act, opt back in, so the Ducks got him back, and they'll be looking to replace those positions with Mikhail Wright, Nick Pickett, Verone McKinley as the Ducks transition to a nickel defense under year two of Andy Opp. All right, Kevin Wade, thanks for that. Good stuff. Um, any thoughts from what Kevin had to say, Dave? No, I, I think just like kind of a general takeaway, which is um, Oregon now has so much talent that even when you are replacing, you know, a few names in a position group here or there, they're all dudes, you know? Like, it's not like you're replacing them with, oh, wow, this random, you know, former three-star who's now in his fourth year, who's been a career backup, like, you know, UCLA is doing at a lot of levels. Um, it, it's a bunch of guys who, oh, yeah, they were four or five stars a year ago. Now they're starting, and that's normal. Yeah. Um, so Oregon could very well, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of an unknown factor with some of these, especially defensive. But Oregon could very well just completely reload and be good, if not better. Uh, as good, if not better, uh, than last year. I mean, it just, I think a lot will depend on the quarterback position and how well, you know, they can execute there. But defensively, I don't know. They might be just fine. There's a lot of talent on that roster now. There's a lot of talent. Like guys like Kate on Thibodeau, you got to watch for him. Getting Lenore back is a big deal. Um, you know, Jordan Scott on defensive line. So there, there's some studs there. And uh, a lot of players coming back on defense. Obviously, replacing an entire offensive line is uh, not easy. You got a new off, you know, offensive coordinator and Joe Moorhead. They did have four spring practices, so you get some install in early. I think that's helpful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but there's still talent there, you know. I mean, 
yeah, losing Penny Sewell is a big deal, and Thomas Graham and Holland and Breeze, um, you know, not having Justin Herbert uh, around, you know, certainly a big deal. Shane Lemieux, uh, you know, one of the offensive linemen. But you know, there's still a ton of talent on this team. And, you know, you're going to see guys like Kayvon Thibodeau just, I think, have studly years. I mean, there's some, you know, senior wide receiver, Johnny Johnson, you know, C.J. Verdell. You've seen a lot of him. He's a senior running back. Uh, Devin Williams from the transfer from USC. It'll be interesting to see what what he does. I think Jalen Red's a senior this year, um, the wide receiver. So, I mean, they got talent. Uh, they got good coaching. I not really concerned too much with the Ducks. Yep. Uh, all right. Where do you want to go? Do you, okay. You want to do the uh, Washington State first? Yeah. Let's uh, let's go to Rolovich. Which one? Which which? Uh, do you want the meow or do you want the uh, the growl? Let's be optimistic. Let's go with the growl. All right. Here we go. Uh, I think this is the one. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> yes. We got the Cougs. Uh, they start off on the road at Oregon State. And they get Oregon at home. So they get the Oregon schools first. They go on the road to Stanford. Yeah, it's winnable. Uh, they get Washington at home on a Friday. They got to go to USC week five, on a, also on a Friday. So they got back-to-back Friday games, one of them on the road. And they end the season at home against Cal. Yeah, so they very much got screwed by the schedule. Um, having to add the at USC in here, which USC is more than likely going to be the best team in the South this year. Um, that's that's tough because you got the Pac-12 North to deal with, and then you've got uh, whatever the best or one of the best teams in the South on the road. Um, so kind of screwed by the schedule, um, but even still, I don't know that this is going to be much more than a let's see what you have kind of year for Rolovich and company. Um, I think Oregon State's winnable. I think Stanford's winnable. I think maybe Cal, um, but the rest of this is going to be a little bit tough for them. It's tough when you've got first season head coach, you know, new OC, new DC. Uh, you've had, you know, you got some losses. I mean, you got some studs coming back, Max Borgie and, and, and guys like that, but no spring practice, didn't have any spring practices. Um, you know, it's, I think it's going to be a, tough it would be one of those things if you had a full season and you had spring practice and it could be one of those teams like by you know week seven you're like oh that Washington State's starting to look pretty good now you know like I I see they're getting there I just don't know they're going to have enough time to like look like a team that's on the rise like maybe they do maybe the six games seven games will be enough but at this point it seems like you're just sort of everything's going to be going a million miles an hour and all of a sudden you're going to look around and go well we're one and six. What now? What you know? And just kind of figure it out from there. But you know, there's going to be a foundation to build on going forward. It's just this is a really tough year to to go you know go to a new program and install a bunch of new things and not have spring football and make it all work. Yeah, totally agreed. Um, so quarterback battle. Uh, well, actually, we got to play the voicemail. So let's do that. Here we go. This is Barry Bolden of KookFan.com. Washington State is probably going to be a mystery on multiple levels until the Cougs kick off the season at Oregon State on November 7th. With practices closed to the media due to COVID-19, Nick Rolovich has kept his cards pretty close to the vest, not just on a depth chart, but even to some degree who all is lining up where. 
there are a lot of young guys who are going to have to step up more than we might have expected headed into fall ball. Max Borgie said on Wednesday, due to opt-outs, injuries, COVID-19, there are going to be a lot of new faces and big roles. And Washington State has not said who any of those opt-out players are or discussed injuries. The QB battle is the big one. It's a three-man scrub with Cameron Cooper, Gunnar Cruz, and true freshman Jaden Delora. Rolovich has said all three guys have different strengths. One guy will perform well one day, then the other guys perform well. Bottom line, this battle likely to go as long as it can before the opener. That might not be publicly known who is starting until the day of the game. Don't rule out two quarterbacks, especially early in the season, getting time. On offense, running back solid where Borgie is looking his chops and getting more carries than he had under Mike Leach. The offensive line, Rolovich has said since camp began, is one of the team's strengths. Wide receiver looks like it's going to be impressive. It, it was already in the slot, but outside might be coming along as well. The biggest question is quarterback. On defense, linebackers of strength, star Jayhawk Woods, multi-year starter Justice Rogers there. Keep an eye on Travian Brown, too, at linebacker. He looked like a superstar in waiting as a true freshman. Edge has a wealth of talent, uh, veteran talent, with Willie Taylor, Ron Stone, Will Rogers, and more. Defensive tackle remains to be seen, and that's uber important in defensive coordinator Jake Dickert's scheme. And the secondary was arguably the biggest question already. And then yesterday, veteran starting safety Skylar Thomas entered the transfer portal on Wednesday. So there are a myriad of questions to answer on D, but there's also a lot of optimism with the players to a man gushing over the new defense and with players saying it allows them to fly around more comparing it to 2017. Uh, for the veterans when Washington State was number 16th nationally in total defense. With an expected large number of new faces, Washington State's going to have to get its sea legs under it quickly. And getting off to a fast start is, of course, even more paramount in 2020. But what we're going to see across the Pac-12 and Washington State, that's anybody's guess in this crazy year. Yeah, good stuff from uh, from Barry, and uh, thanks for calling in for that one. Oh, he's trying to uh, he's trying to hit a few buttons there at the end. He was sending us a code. Yeah, code. Help. I picked it up. You got it? Nice. Yeah, yeah I so understand. a couple of guys transferred out. Share. He mentioned uh, Skylar Thomas. I think he opted out, then back in and out, out again, if I'm not mistaken. And receiver Tay Martin also opted out. But they're not talking a lot about injuries or her opt-outs or anything from uh, Nick Rolovich. Oh, good. Yet another program in the league that's uh, cloaked in a veil of secrecy for no friggin' reason whatsoever. Yeah, I don't get that, but whatever. Um, so I think Max Borgia can be a key like he talked about. What's he going to do in this like run-and-shoot offense? Is he going to get more carries? Yeah, I. he's such a stud. Like I think you got to kind of focus the offense around him. And, uh, you know, they got, they're still going to have the quarterback battle going on. We probably won't know until... Close to the opener, who's going to win that one? Uh, but they got, you know, they got some good wide receivers coming back with uh, Bell, Martin, Harris, Abe, Lucas. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it could be a fun team to watch, but they're probably going to have some like pretty big lows, and 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 you know, might be a, some cool highs or you know here or there. Yeah, I'm 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 really interested to see Washington State this year. I'm interested to see how Wolovich adapts uh, to a roster that's designed for a similarly unique offense, but with some, you know, differences to it. So, uh, all of that's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, Washington state's been goodish now for four years, four straight years. So will he be able to keep that up? Um, and, 
you know, is he going to invest in the freshman future at quarterback? That's going to be interesting to see, too. You know, his guy from Hawaii, is he so married to his uh, style of offense and his style of quarterback that he's just going to play that guy, um, the Jaden Laura guy? So I'm I'm interested to see a lot there. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of programs I'm interested in this year. I think even more than last year. Um, Oregon State, Washington State, Colorado in the South, especially. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of unique things and interesting things going on, especially with these programs where we haven't seen anything and they haven't seen anything. You know, these yeah. coaches are just now coaching their first practices. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know. I, I like his optimism on the defensive side of the ball with uh, Jake Dickert. And he's one of those guys, if I'm not mistaken, you know, he takes the, 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 you know, the, the bigger safety and makes him a fast linebacker, you know, and takes the, you know, the, the bigger linebacker and makes him a, a defensive end. And, you know, just sort of tries to get more speed on the field. Doesn't have, necessarily have to be size. So they're going to be flying around. And that's when Washington State's defenses have been at their best. Yeah. When they can go small and fast, that's uh, that's what they put together when they had that really good year a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, was that Alex Grinch? I think that was his year. Yeah, right? that was Alex Grinch's year there. He's not doing so well uh, <laughs> with Oklahoma right now. But. Well, you know, he doesn't have a true defensive aficionado like Mike Leach overseeing him anymore. There you go. That's a very good point. Um, all right. So we got one last one. It is. Oh, wait. I played the wrong. I, I was playing the voicemail instead of the Washington Huskies. <laughs> yes, the Huskies. Uh, so they start on the road at Cal. Then they get two home games, Oregon State and Arizona. Very reasonable. On the road against Washington State on a Friday. Uh, so just driving a little bit east there. Then Stanford at home and finishing the season at Oregon. Yeah, so my thought on this one is it's kind of, um, look, and this is no offense to the four programs in the middle of this, but it is kind of a shit sandwich, right? You got the two <laughs> good pieces of bread. You got at Cal and at Oregon, and then just four games where Washington should should uh, be comfortable favorites. Um, but at Cal and at Oregon, uh, that's their two toughest games, and they start the season at Cal, and they end the season at Oregon. Um how they perform in those road games is really going to tell the tale. They should be able to notch four wins in, in the in the middle of this. If they don't, that means, you know, they're doing some retooling, I think, under uh, Jimmy Lake. But Washington State, look, that defense has been able to handle like Mike Leach's offense forever. Maybe it'll be a little bit different for Rolovich. We'll see. Um, Stanford might be a little bit better this year. Again, we'll see. But if they're anything like last year, that should be a walk in the park. And Arizona should be terrible. Um, Oregon State, like we just talked about, they might be decent. Uh, but I think, you know, Oregon State winning in Seattle is a, is a bigger ask. So 4-0 there. And then uh, whether they can split Cal and Oregon, which I think would be the ask there, uh, might tell the tale of whether or not they can uh, sneak a, a North victory here. Yeah. Uh, they had a couple guys opt out. Um, tight end uh, Jacob Kaiser. And uh, the defensive back, Isaiah Gilchrist, uh, they opted out for COVID concerns. Some big losses, too. Hunter Bryant, Trey Adams, you know, Jacob Eason, obviously, Solomon Ahmed, so Miles Bryant, um, Joe Tryon. So they, they've definitely lost some from last year. You got a first-year uh, offensive coordinator and John Donovan. So we'll see. Well, let's play the voicemail, and we'll get some thoughts from uh, our buddy Chris Fetters. 
This is Chris Betters of Dogman.com covering the University of Washington for the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm previewing the 2020 upcoming season for the University of Washington. Um, obviously, it's been a huge transition for the Huskies uh, in terms of both sides of the ball, but especially on offense because they basically lost everybody. Uh, they lost their starting quarterback in Jacob Eason, their starting running back in Savon Ahmed, uh, two of their start uh, receivers in Aaron Fuller and Andre Pacelli. Uh, starting tight end in Hunter Bryant, and three of their starting offensive linemen in Trey Adams, Jared Hilbers, and Nick Harris. And then you put on that the idea of Bush Hamden getting fired uh, in the transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake, and Lake hiring John Donovan from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So there's so many questions coming into this season offensively for Washington. Um really nothing but questions. And then you compound that with the fact that they didn't get any spring football. The coronavirus pandemic hit right as the Washington teams were about to start their spring season. So really they're going to be starting completely from scratch. No one really knows on the outside what it's going to look like other than what uh, Jimmy Lake and John Donovan had said themselves in terms of having a pro style offense with some wrinkles. They, they kind of made it sound like it's going to be a lot like what you see in the NFL right now, which is basically what they do with some, they've even kind of added some college wrinkles into what they do at the pro level. And so it, it feels like it's going to be another, obviously multiple style set, um, trying to get vertical, trying to get aggressive in the run game. And clearly there's a lot of potential and a lot of talent on that side of the ball, but the question marks at that quarterback, especially, when you've got four guys that are that are going to be brand new, obviously, to this scheme, but you've got uh, Jacob Sermon, you've got uh, Ethan Garbers, you've got Dylan Morris, and then you've got grad transfer Kevin Thompson um, from Sacramento State, the 2019 Big Sky Player of the Year on offense. Um, I think he accounted for 3,800 yards, 39 total touchdowns. He brings certainly a dual threat element to this offense that we haven't seen before. And then you go to the defensive side of the ball, Obviously, some some less questions on that side of the ball, but you also Washington also loses their two of their big big key pieces in Levi Onzerike and outside linebacker Joe Tryon to the NFL. They both have declared. Um, there's also a couple of guys that have opted out due to COVID concerns. Uh, one on the offensive side of the ball with Jacob Kaiser, and the other one would be defensive back Isaiah Gilchrist. So not a ton on that front, but uh, we uh, I think we got cut off there. Um, we had the we had the three minute limit on the uh, the Google voicemail. Sorry about that, Chris. Gets you every time. It does. It gets you. Um, yeah. So so you know a couple of those opt outs, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball where there was more a little more optimism of guys that were coming back. And, you know, obviously Jimmy Lake knows the the defense, but certainly some concerns on offense with so many guys gone, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they've got a lot of questions to answer and also scheme-wise. Um, just what is this going to look like? It sounds, I mean, from Chris's talk that it's going to be somewhat similar, um, but there's a lot that can be covered in a multiple scheme. Um, that's sort of the catch-all phrase for basically any offense these days. So uh, I'm I'm... 
that's going to be the big tale for me. I mean, obviously, personnel losses matter, um, but I don't really worry about them too much defensively. Um, I think offensively, obviously, they've got some names and faces to replace. But um, what's that scheme going to look like? Because I think that's been the big limiting factor more than anything else the last few years is just that it's been a a very, um, uh, I don't know, everything looks hard. Um, so getting it to where they can start to generate some easy yardage again would be nice. Uh, that's that's the main thing, and that's something we probably won't be able to tell after a game. Uh, it'll probably take a game or two or three uh, before we have some idea what the scheme looks like and um, you know what what kind of efficacy it has. Yeah, uh, you know I'm not super worried about. It. I mean, when you have like a four way quarterback battle, that's always fine. It's a little concerning, right? You know. That's that's no big deal. No spring practice. You know, when you got a new head coach, you'd like to same thing with Washington State. Uh, but yeah, there's obviously the continuity there. Um, you know, there's staff. not enough Jakes. There, there's not nearly enough Jakes in that quarterback room. Only one Jacob. Like, what is up yeah. with that? Yeah, we need. I mean, we need at least two, possibly three Jakes uh, for a true Washington quarterback room. Yeah, there's uh, so that's. I'm a little concerned about that. That would be a big concern. Yeah. The Jake level is is low. We need more Jakes. Yeah, um, but they got. You know what? When they do their like recruiting, they should just name search Jake or Jacob um, <laughs> in the two four seven database and only recruit those guys. I wonder that'd be an interesting strategy. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a great quarterback name. Lots of good Jakes out there. Yeah, Jake the but, Snake Plumber, great one. I still think it's a talented enough team. They'll figure things out, but. I, I it's tough. I'd rather not have Cal on the road out of the gate. You know, that could be a tough one. Yeah. Agreed. But, but you know, I think they will be, I think this is a team that will be rolling more as they go through the middle of the schedule that you talked about uh, and then give them the best chance against Oregon at the end. But that, that opener against Cal is the one you got to circle. I would think. Yeah. Because uh, Chase Garbers is my guy. We'll we'll have to we'll preview them at some other point. Well, thanks to everyone for those. Uh, anything else on any of the the previews, Dave? None. It was beautiful. I laughed. I cried. It was good. Made it but thanks for everyone for sending those in. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and answer your questions. It's been a few days since we. I think it's like ten days since we recorded a show because we did one early last week and we're doing it late this week. Uh, yeah, we might. Uh, we got some questions. So back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're okay. back on the podcast of champions. Good break. Yeah, while I was on break, I re I read all of the questions, um, all fifteen of them. Let's skip the ones that apparently thought like we didn't or I didn't know the phrase Fisher Cut bait last week because okay. there's like three of them. So I must have really phrased that awkwardly. I know what the phrase means. I was making a joke about whether that was even a thing you do during fishing, whether you cut bait. But yes. Apparently that was lost in translation. Okay, we could skip those. Uh, we got a. It was a message. bad joke. It wasn't really a joke. It was more of just a play on words, but nonetheless. Yeah. Someone gave people. someone gave an analogy like it's shit or get off the pot. Basically, is one of yeah, the yeah. things, right? Yeah. yeah. We, um, we 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 know we know we got we, uh, we had a text message from a not totally bitter Ducks fan. You guys said that having Stanford play Arizona State. Gives way too much credit to Stanford in the North Division power rankings. But have you considered that maybe they just think the Sun Devils are trash? Not a totally bitter Ducks fan. <laughs> no, dude, they're finished. They, they got a couple first place votes in the South from the media and they're picked to finish second. So they don't think they're trash. No, they're, I think it would they're be probably over overrating yeah. Stanford. But yeah. again, if you look at that talent composite, Stanford should be a lot better than they are. They should. And I'm, I'm on the David bandwagon, the, the circle in the drain thing. I think Stanford's going to be garbage. So we'll see. Yeah. All, All right. right. Next up, we've got Drew. Is that what we're at? I think so. All right. Tell me the. All right. This is playoff. Tell me the flaw in this playoff system. I can't find one. All right, 16 teams. Uh, the Power 5 champions get automatic bids, but not automatic home games. Group of five gets auto bid if a champion is ranked in the top 25. Highest ranked team if more than one team meets these requirements. The rest of the bids will be decided by a playoff panel. No league can have more than four total bids. The playoff panel will seed the teams one, seed the teams one through 16 with one versus 16, two versus 15, etc., Round one and two will be played at the home field of the higher ranked team with the semifinals and finals taking place at neutral sites. This would eliminate so many problems as well as giving teams a chance to prove themselves and let's say a 9-3 Arizona State team beats 12-0 Oregon, well then the Sun Devils probably get the 15-16 seed and got to go earn it at Alabama or Ohio State while Oregon would still get the opportunity to make up for a bad day as they would get an at-large bid. I get the NCAA attorney argument, but in basketball, it's much easier for a George Mason-type team to beat a Gonzaga or Villanova on a given day than a slightly above-average college football team to beat an elite one simply due to the less physical aspect of basketball, where you can just rain threes and beat a much better team if you're hot. While in football, that can't really happen. I believe this playoff would be perfect for teams, amazing for TV, and the best case for fans. Imagine Florida going to play Boise State in the snow or the Georgia Bulldogs playing at Oregon in December. USC running out of the tunnel into Death Valley. The storylines and narratives would be amazing. What do you I think, mean, Ryan? The only flaw would be the 16 is tough because then you got, you know, a month worth of extra games, right? Hell, man, I like this more than eight. I don't mind it. I mean, I'm cool with more. If uh, we're going, If we're going the stupid fun thing, right, which is the main reason to even go to eight, 
But if we're going stupid fun, 16 is better than 8. Because for to his point, you don't end up with the situation where there's an upset in the conference title game and sorry, the loser doesn't get into the playoff now. And the winner gets in as one of the eight best teams in the country when they might be not even a top 25 team. This way, they might get in as a 16 seed, right? And then you still have, you know, say it's a situation where, um, I don't know, some random team makes it out of the South, like uh, Utah at 4-2 and two in the league this year, but beats 6-0 and oh Oregon on some fluky stuff. And then Oregon or Utah would make a theoretical 18 playoff and Oregon might be out. Um this way, you kind of cover for that a little bit. So yeah. I like this more um, if we're going that route. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. Um, I think the reason the NCAA does this is because there isn't really a, I don't know, there's not a super fun, fair way to just play one game in basketball um, because there is, like, to your point, much higher variance than there is in college football. Now, I don't think that's aided by the NCAA tournament argument, but I think the NCAA tournament, I think they were making the calculation, well, this is fun as hell, so let's just do this. Because um, tournaments are fun. We like them. Um, but I like, again, going back to the original thing, I like that the system now produces what you can reasonably think of as a true champion. I like that it produces what can clearly be seen as the best team in the, in the country that year. Um, yeah. yeah, there have been, you know, semi upsets in the, uh, in the playoff, but for the most part, you can be pretty much, you know, stamped and guaranteed. That's, you know, one of the best teams in the country. True. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that one. Let's go to Peter Vancouver. Not happy with us in the PAC 12 schedule. Your assessment that the Pac-12 tried to protect... A lot of haters. A lot of haters who did a lot of pre-work for this, where they determined all of the like different schedule permutations yeah. and found the actual reason. But me, I like baseless speculation. So let's hear what Peter had to say. He says, uh, your assessment that the Pac-12 tried to protect the best teams in the crossover games between the North and the South is just incorrect. At best, it is a bit of a coincidence that it almost worked out that way. The crossover games were completely predictable based on the Pac-12's announced criteria of having three home and three away and trying to preserve the originally scheduled location for the games. In fact, I wrote an article predicting the crossover games and published it just before the schedule dropped and had all of them correct. Well, Peter, to be fair, I predict I did the same thing and I didn't get them all right. Um, so he says, to summarize, every team was going to maintain existing home and away locations for the opponents in the division. You know, we, I mean, we knew that. Uh, that meant some teams were playing three home games and some three away. Uh, that limited the possible opponents in the crossover games to three each. Uh, each team was already scheduled to play at least one of those three, but in some cases they're supposed to play on the road where they already needed to play their crossover game at home. So they could have three home and three away games. Uh, by going through uh, the logical exercise, four games were simple because they were already p- planned. Washington, I mean, Arizona at Washington, Colorado at Stanford, Oregon State at Utah, and Cal at Arizona State. Because Oregon and USC each needed another home game while UCLA and Washington State needed another away game, the final two games were predictable, even though those matchups were not originally planned for 2020, but at least they did not throw off the schedule for 2021. You guys do some good analysis of the Pac-12, but spreading disinformation about the rationale for scheduling is not what I've come to expect from your podcast, Peter of Vancouver, Washington. Peter. Uh, No, I'm going to stick with my, uh, it was power ranked. I don't care about your It was completely power ranked. The reason um, USC and Oregon didn't play wasn't because they both needed a home game. It's because you don't want USC and Oregon to play. Like, that's complete bunk, Peter. There's like, 
if if Oregon needed an away game, they were not going to be playing at USC. I will guarantee you that. Um, the other thing, Peter and Ryan too, there seemed to be like so you were really interested in this beforehand, like predicting the schedule that was going to be announced on the Saturday, right? You yeah. were really into that. You wanted to talk about it on this show. And I shined you on and I talked about it. Peter did a whole story about it. Is there like an industry of you people who just want to like do this? Like where you just want to like organize schedules and do like puzzle solving for like this? I think that's because there's only one game. I couldn't give less of a like and maybe that's my failing. Maybe it's a lack of intellectual curiosity here. But something that's going to be announced one way or another in like a day. I don't care. Sure. And I don't. uh, It was like figuring out what one game was going to be. I mean, just whatever. It's going to be interesting when we when it gets announced. But, I mean, Peter spent a lot of time on this. He he, he really, you know, powered through. And I, I appreciate that about him. But, man. I mean, I did, too. I put a lot of... I, I know doc- you did. And I'm wondering, doc- is, this like, is this like porn for you people? No, like, it's are just, you really into this? I think when you... You have to make priorities of what um, what's important. And I found one of the priorities I put on there was... You have to be, the games have to be selected from the existing games of the, you know, the 2.0 2020 schedule that the Pac-12 released. That didn't happen because we had, uh, you know, Oregon, I think Arizona, and then USC and Washington State. So once that went away, it opened up some other possibilities that you could play anybody. I only got it from that pool, but I was able to do it a way where you did it from the existing pool of games. You did the home away thing. And also, you didn't have any of the top teams from the North playing top teams from the South and vice versa. I think it worked out uh, pretty well. They they removed that criteria where, okay, you don't have to play. You, you can play a team that you weren't even scheduled to play. That opened up some new possibilities. But like Peter was saying, there wasn't that many choices to begin with. It's just you had two choices. You know, Well, most likely one choice because one of those would have been home, one bit away. You needed, like USC needed a home game. The one home game they could have had, you know, Washington State, that was going to be, you know, they weren't on the schedule originally. So, um, yeah, I I think that one of the, Peter, for you to say this, I don't think this was random that it came out that none of the top teams from the North are playing, you know, from the South and vice versa outside of Cal and Arizona State. Um, I think that was one of the criteria for sure. It wasn't just this. This was the only it just happened to work out that way. I don't buy that at all. No, I mean, whatever. It functionally doesn't matter to me. Um, But I would say also, yeah, okay, they decided that this criteria was important because it worked out this way, that USC and and Oregon wouldn't have to play each other, right? But they could have decided different criteria were important if it would have worked out that they would have had to play each other. So I don't know where they started, whether they started with, we want to protect these teams. What's the rationale where we can arrive at that? Oh, okay, we can do this way. That works. I have no idea how they determined this, but it is interesting that it works out that none of the good teams are playing any of the other good teams in the other leagues. Yeah. That's interesting to me for the other divisions. You know, we mentioned Dave Bartu at the top. Uh, his I, When he went on Canzano's show, he said all, the only criteria you should have is don't have USC and Oregon play each other. Everyone else, he didn't mind if like a, you know, he doesn't mind the Cal Arizona State because he wants you to have more good teams on your schedule. Um, he would rather not see USC and Washington state play. He would have rather seen like USC and Cal or, or Washington or something like that. 
He just didn't want the two favorites to have to play each other. He said, outside of that, and I, that you know that logic kind of makes sense too. I get it. Like, um, but the way it worked out, it seemed like you didn't want to give anyone a, a, an extra loss if you didn't have to. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Peter. It is impressive that you predicted it correctly. If that's what we wanted here, then kudos. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Kudos to that. Yeah. Um, all right. We've got Kevin. Yeah. Uh, playoffs option. Hello, boys. As always, thanks for the weekly hour of entertainment. Okay, enough brown nosing. So, okay, the cut bait thing, he's clarifying for us. Okay. So cut bait makes me think of the term fish or cut bait. If already explained in a prior evil, skip to the next paragraph. If not, I believe the term means to do one thing or another, as in either fish or cut bait. Don't sit there doing nothing while trying to decide what to do. Another similar term is blank or get off the pot. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate you. Playoffs option. How about a 16 playoff? Six teams would certainly include teams deserving of a berth in a 14 playoff, and two more that would certainly quell most of the bitching from disgruntled fans, teams, talking heads. It also may result in no more than two games played by every team, as is the case with the 14 playoff. Seeding, the top two teams, one and two, would get buys in the first round. The next four teams would be ranked A, B, C, and D, with A playing D and B playing C. If the seeding is accurate, team A and B win and then lose to teams one and two in round two setting up the likely matchup in the championship game. If either of teams C and D pull off the upset, they likely would lose to teams one and two. If any of the latter teams, especially C or D, reach the, or letter teams, especially C or D, reach the championship game, well, then you have a great story, even though they would, and gladly, I'm sure, be playing a third game. Until next time, Kevin. What do you think of six, Ryan? Uh, this was what um, Jimmy Lake proposed during the uh, webinar. He really liked it. He come up with you know the the five uh champions in an at large um so yeah, that's what he wanted to see i think wilner shot it down with some, I, for, I forget what the argument was but wilner said something about it like why they would never uh go for something like that but um yeah i mean i i would rather see eight than six but i, I jimmy like made a compelling case for it and, and kevin does too yeah i think six is a um is a it's a stupid one um i'm not <laughs> I, i'm not um I, this would be just doing it to get the auto bids in which i think is is i like eight more than six because at least eight you're adding some element of still rating quality of teams this six you're only auto bidding five the five power fives and then the best group of five like that's the way it gets you know, kind of played out for everyone. So you're not ever rating teams. So if Alabama, by chance, again, loses to Auburn in a year where Alabama is very clearly the best team in the entire country, but they don't make the SEC title game, right? Where they just, they lost a random weird one to Auburn, which happens from time to time. But they finish the year, you know, whatever that would leave them. 11-1 and one and clearly the most dominant team in the country. But they don't even get the opportunity to win their conference. Well, that Alabama team, I, that was the Alabama team that beat somebody. Was it Georgia? Is that that I was that so. Alabama team, if I remember correctly. Um, they wouldn't even have the opportunity to be in a 16 playoff. That's where the 16 is actually more limiting than the 14 because you're not actually getting some of the best teams in the country in that playoff. Eight, you actually get that again, because say you even have six of them auto bid, right? Where it's five power five. And then the sixth, which is the group of five, you still have two at large then where it's, 
you know, Alabama makes it when they're really, really good and they somehow didn't make it to the SEC title game or whatever. But there's a way to then um, reward teams who had a dominant year and just didn't happen to even make it or didn't win their conference title game, but otherwise had a very dominant year. Um, So if we're choosing between expanding it to six or eight, the obvious answer to me is eight because you're still you have a better chance of having a better playoff with better teams in eight than you do in six. To be fair to Kevin, um, he doesn't say automatic bids in there. What would you? What if it was just six? Same thing, top six, not not auto bids. But then you're really, really making a tier argument because you're saying the one and two are clearly. So that's the other problem too, is that you're saying they are so much better than say the third best team that they deserve to have one more, one fewer opportunity to lose. So say it's all 50% chances that you win. Say these teams are all evenly situated. You're severely diminishing the three relative to the two um, in having an even chance to win um, because they're not going to, you know, oftentimes they're going to lose to that, um, whatever the six seed would be. Um, So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's less equitable. I think you're going to end up with a lot of just um, one versus two than, you even necessarily do in the four like because again go back to that alabama example i just raised if you add another game that alabama has to play maybe that team which i think by the end everyone saw was the most deserving team in the country they don't even get past maybe the first round um you're introducing a lot of chance and they don't even get a chance to play against one or two you know it's alabama versus whatever washington or whoever um so yeah, I think um, ultimately uh, they would end up have if they did a 16 playoff, it would be to shoehorn in the auto bids. Um, but it, Kevin, if you're if you're thinking they would just power rate the the, the six teams to get in, I don't know. You could talk to me about it. I don't love the buy then, um, and that's where it gets weird with the six teams. Is you are adding a real impediment to the bottom four um, that doesn't exist in the 14 playoff. You know, yeah. all four of those teams have an even chance um, because they don't have to play an extra set of games um, in the six team, you are really weighting things heavily towards the one and two teams and making it much, much harder for the other four teams to win because they do have that extra chance, that extra 50, 50 chance to lose a game. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, yeah. So I, I think I, I'm go with you. I think I'd rather see. Um, Stupid was a harsh word, Kevin. I've, I've thought about this a lot though. I, I think the six team, the six team is, I think it's the way for people who really want to shoehorn. That's why Jimmy Lake's saying it. It's a way for the people who really want to shoehorn auto bids in there, but don't want to feel like they're expanding the playoffs a ton. That, that's the way they do it. Um, yeah. But if you're going to do the auto bids, you have to do eight um, because it's it's fairer to everybody involved. All right. Let's go to Dan. He says uh, on the out of conference rivalry games. First time, long time. Well, thanks for writing in, Dan. Appreciate it. Uh, I agree. Having a permanent out-of-conference rival instead of a ninth conference game isn't practical, but it's a fun idea. You both did a good job thinking of the best matchups, but I thought a few of the matchups could be made sexier. So, he said, perfect as is, Washington, Michigan, Oregon, LSU, USC, Notre Dame, UCLA, Texas, with Tennessee as a backup, Colorado, Nebraska, Utah and Wisconsin, Washington State, and Texas Tech. Uh, then he gives some quibbles. Um, Oregon State, South Carolina, 
Watch grown men giggle for four hours each uh, every year. Because that's uh, Cox versus Beavers. There you go. I like it. Letting everybody in on that one. Uh, Stanford Duke. Stanford Notre Dame already exists, but this seems like the perfect matchup between insufferable <laughs> and apathetic fo- football fan bases. Northwestern as a backup. I like that. I like uh, it. Cal Georgia Tech, more attractive than Virginia or North Carolina. Plus, Atlanta as a media market to match the Bay Area makes it better for TV, Illinois, and consideration. Cal Georgia Tech, I think that th- these are good, actually, because I think Cal Georgia Tech, I think both fan bases might get excited about that trip, too. Like yeah. Cal fans going to Atlanta, they might have fun there. Georgia Tech fans going to the Bay Area, they might have fun there. It's kind of a clashing of cultures, too. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Arizona State, Florida State, as the warm weather party school with a bevy of future strippers, add some gusto. Uh, A&M also like a good uh, like a good candidate from an opposite culture perspective. I love it. The future stripper aspect is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Arizona, Louisville, as both great but not true blue blood basketball programs under FBI investigation. (laughs) Dan, well, you, I hope you write more. Good stuff, Dan. That was really good. How All do we right, attract cool. like smart people like this? Like, why? I don't know. Why do these smart the, people that the, are funny it cannot be the quality of the show? Well, really they can. listen to us. Like, why? You know, I would. Okay. <laughs> um, this is uh, from our man Matthew. Pac-12 schedule 3.0. Thanks for the podcast. The divisions were not seeded one through six. Three teams in the North and South host their rivalry game, giving them three home games in the division and two road games. They separated each division into teams needing a road game and those needing a home game to balance out the home and away. They scheduled the, uh, they scheduled the crossover games like this. North needs road game, Washington State, Cal, Oregon State. South needs home game, ASU, Utah, USC. Matchups, Cal at U- ASU, Oregon State at Utah, Washington State at USC, so on and so forth. Uh, no, I don't know why they scheduled the specific crossover matchups this way, except to protect USC, Utah, U, uh, Oregon, and UW. Yeah, so he kind of he goes into like the rivalry games. Yeah, like I, we kind of we we hashed this through already. Yeah. Um, there there were definitely other options though, uh, Matthew, and that's. Uh, but I still believe they were. He's, but he's saying, I think, no, I don't know why they scheduled the specific crossover matchups this way, except to protect USC, Utah, Oregon, and Washington. Yeah. So and that, I think he's acknowledging that that's what's going on here. They're protecting yeah. the top teams. And I think with with you know, I thought they should have included Arizona State and Cal in that discussion. It, it maybe they did only go with the top two and not the top three. But Arizona State is a top two in the South, at least according to the media. So. Um, and, you know, maybe Stanford gets a little more credit just because of past performance as opposed to where we're going to project them this year. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And then he says, I can't wait to see the games. And even though as a Stanford and UW fan, I can't stand USC and Oregon. Sorry, Ryan. I hope a 7-0 team can manage to get to a semifinal game against Clemson or the SEC champ. Thanks again. I like he put he wrote Oregon and then put sorry, Ryan, after Oregon and not USC. So but, yeah. Yeah, Matthew, that's fine. You, we want you to be fan. It's interesting that you're a Stanford and Washington fan. That's uh, that's different. Maybe you got degrees from both those places or something. <laughs> um, all right, John gives us a Fisher Cut Bait thing. We already talked about that, but uh, we must. I must have really screwed that up. I don't remember exactly, but I think um, you used the phrase. Then I'm like, is that something that you actually do when you're fishing? Like, do you literally cut bait? Yeah. 
Well, he said, so he does say uh, about it, the problem with the Pac-12 network is they, all they've been doing the whole time is cutting bait. And frankly, no one is better at cutting bait than the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is the best conference in the country at not doing things. The 2020 football season is a perfect example. It's so much easier not to do something than to do it. They jumped at the chance to not have a season. It was perfect. They could just keep cutting bait. And I think that's a good, I like that. That's, I think that's true. Yep. Like we, we praise the Pac-12 for cutting bait. Because you really needed to. But then when everyone else was like, you know, restringing their hook and, and, and digging out the worms and putting the bait back on, the Pac-12 was just like, no, nah, I'm good. We don't need to they, do anything. They were sitting and having a beer, which is fine. Yeah, which is a good part of fishing. But if there's, you know. Some might you have, say the only good part of fishing. <laughs> I, like, I like eating the fish afterwards. And like, you know, real lemon and stuff. Uh, okay. Uh, related but not really. Please rank the following in order of likelihood. All right. This should be good. The Pac-12 network does not exist in 2021. The Pac-12 network folds up its tent and is reborn as an ESPN-sponsored network. He doesn't give a time frame on that, so I'm not sure when he means. Stanford decides they don't need Division I athletics to be Stanford and moves all athletics to Division III. Clay Helton is USC's coach in 2022. Spotify decides to purchase the rights to the podcast of champions, insists on the Washington State sound drop being the kitty cat sound. Wait, Washington have- State Cougars. That does one. John have access to our email? Has he seen the emails from Spotify? Are we not supposed to talk about that yet on the show? Yeah. We're not, we're not, yeah, we're obligated, not we're contractually, okay, cool. we can't talk got, about it. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, okay, so which one do you want to say which is least likely? first um okay tough one uh least likely i think is that mm, stanford decides they don't need division one athletics i was thinking that like there was some hubbub about it but i'm gonna go with the stanford one it's just to throw away all that tradition it just would be really difficult and then obviously, I think it's a ridiculous question to even ask at this point. But clearly, Clay Helton will still be USC's coach in 2022. He would, that's, I can't that believe was, anybody's even talking about his job status. <laughs> I would put that as number four. Like if Stanford's five, I'd put that at four. Right. Um, um, I mean, most likely Spotify purchased the rights. So Yeah, obviously, that's most likely. Um, the question is uh, for the Pac-12 Network. Um, I think it will exist in 2021, so I will still leave it. Like, I don't think they're going to fold tent until after the year, maybe. Um, so maybe the most likely is actually the be, is reborn as an ESPN sponsored network, because I could yeah. see that happening within a couple of years. I could see that. It might be more of a Fox one, though. Like, ESPN might have too much at this point. And Either Fox way. is more of the natural relationship with the Pac 12 anyway, going back. Yeah. But yeah. I think both are good options, yeah. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to fold up shop until Larry Scott's gone. But they might start working on it, you know, in 2021. Um, I guess we'll have to see what happens with this, with this season. I mean, they, I mean the ratings—it's not like the ratings are going to get better. It's distribution's bad, and they have no football, so it's just going to be bad. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh God. We'll say, we have- we'll say in order, Spotify. ESPN, Pac-12 does not exist. <laughs> USC head coach and Stanford. All right. Likely, unlikely. All right. Uh, Jason has another sim. 
did okay i'm sure you put it up on the blog last week right like what like you were supposed to i uh, no <laughs> moving right along uh we've got <laughs> catches catch can from hithliday i'm having a hard time understanding usc's recruiting approach this cycle i'm just gonna do his with a southern accent now is that okay fine? yeah i like that they're at 22 commits, three away from the cap. They currently have two four-star pro-style quarterbacks and just offered a third, two tight ends and an offense that doesn't use them at all, seven or eight defensive backs when they're loaded with upper underclassmen from previous cycles, and just four offensive linemen, none of whom are consensus four-stars despite that unit being glaring weakness. Does this strike you boys as a deliberate strategy, or is it unplanned and simply reflects the recruiting skill of certain position coaches and the absence of it in others? I've seen some suggest that this is a loss leader strategy where the Trojans take commitments regardless of fit to build momentum and recover perception from last year's cycle, knowing that the commits are coming who will be replaced by better positional balance later. Do you boys put any stock in that theory? Nice hit the day. Um, so it's we don't want to get into like the nuance of all this stuff, but like one of the defensive backs actually was recruited as a receiver. Um, you know, they needed to bring they only have two scholarship quarterbacks right now, so they have to bring in a couple of quarterbacks. They do plan trying to use the tight ends more. We'll see if if all that stuff happening. But they recruited too many offensive linemen that were just mediocre guys, and that that's happened the last couple of uh, cycles. So they, but they've had some glaring weaknesses. I mean, they didn't bring in a running back in this past class. It was the worst class they've had. Uh, so some of it is you're trying to fix the issues of the previous class. And then they bring in, you know, Dante Williams, who can, who got a whole bunch of defensive backs and is able to kind of light a fire on the recruiting. So I think they're just, there's a little bit of a scramble trying to fix, uh, the problems from the last class. And, you look at the class, there's really no like impact players from it coming in at all. And that's why they dropped from number four in the talent composite all the way down to, to number 10. So um, there's probably going to be some decommits and there's still going to be massage in this thing. And they're going to you know try to bring in a full class for sure. But a lot of it's just, you know, bringing in the best guys you can because they need to they need to patch some of the holes that they left in the last class, even the, the previous one. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, one thing to always keep in mind is that poorly run organizations will often have stuff like this happen. Um, when Jim Mora kind of stopped paying attention to things, UCLA would often bring in like, I don't know, seven defensive backs and like two offensive linemen because the assistants were just kind of, you know, doing their own thing. Um, so it does happen. Um, I don't know if that's happening here, but you're not, you know, I think there can be situations where the position coaches are, it's not even just their skill. It's um, for a lot of these guys, they have salary bonuses tied to how they recruit. So if the head coach isn't like a strong, like, no, you're only taking three guys or four guys or whatever, they might just be like, okay, I'm taking seven commitments and I'm going to have uh, you know, recruiter of the year and get a $50,000 bump. Yeah, no, that it does come into play there too. So, uh, and it's a weird year. Overall, Hitler Day, just because it's been a dead period the entire time. Um, so it's it's harder for some of these coaches to make an impression. And it's easier for a guy like Dante Williams, who already had established that, uh, you know, reputation. So it's easier for him. But, like, they bring in a defensive line coach from the East Coast, Vic Soto, and it's going to be a little tougher on a guy like that who hasn't got to meet these guys in person and didn't have those relationships with Southern California kids. Uh, let's see. We got Sparky's roommate. 
writing in emperor of college football. If I were emperor of college football, these are the changes I would make right away, but I'm a benevolent dictator. So I would still be willing to listen to my constituents and see what they think. If there are any other changes they would like to see. Well, he sounds like a reasonable dictator. Yeah. Um, Benevolent. Okay, so first things first. Sounds I like uh, somebody's been playing a lot of Crusader Kings. I don't know what that is, but... Yeah. Now the real heads know. Don't worry about okay. it. Okay. So first thing first, I would appoint someone to handle all FCS and lower division things since I only follow FBS. So I like that. So he's... his the 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 uh, What, the peasants? The the poppers? He, he's going to sign some governors to, like, take care of them because he doesn't want to, like, pay attention to them. He's only going to look at the, the nobles and uh, pay attention to what they do. He says, all right, now for the 10 FBS conferences and the independents. So he has some bullets here. All conferences must play nine conference games. All right? Okay. So the ACC and the SEC, bump up your conference game. Love it. Every team must play at least one regular season pack Power five opponent or Notre Dame out of conference, even the group of five teams and independents. Is that going to work mathematically? It might be tough. Like if you're making, you're requiring everyone to do it. Well, you're requiring everyone to do it, but on top of, so that might be tough. And then also a lot of people are going to end up with two. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Okay. There might be a math problem there. The ranking system would be well-defined and put into two equal parts. The first part is adjusted win-loss percentage, including a small decrease in percentage for group of five teams and group of five level independents, and a small increase for conference champions after they've played their conference championship games, of course. The second part is the strength of schedule, where strength of schedule is defined as 50% of the average of your opponent's win-loss percentage plus 25% of the average of your opponent's opponent's win-loss percentage plus 12.5% of the average of your opponent's 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 win-loss percentage and so on to infinity. I thought there'd be no math. Uh, this computation will converge to a single finite value, no subject subjective eye test, no advanced metrics. Virtually every other sport bases a team success only on win-loss record, and it works great. I mean... I guess I would have to dive into that. What 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 is he saying there? So uh, I think he's saying you're making all the schedules relatively even, so you can then base the rankings essentially on strength of schedule, win loss record, um, because everyone will have played relatively even schedule, but it discounts um, obviously differences between the conferences mainly, okay. and also it discounts. Um, Strength of victory, um, you know, is a team that beats a bunch of teams by three, should they be rated the same as a team that's beating a bunch of teams by 50, right? Yeah. So what the advanced rating systems do is they weight the dominance more, um, whereas, you know, this system would be just rating by wins, which I think nine times out of ten, you're going to end up with roughly the same sort of ranking um, if you did it this way, but not ten times out of ten. Um, because this is, I mean, it is weighting things a little bit. I will give it credit for that. And it does even things out a little bit more than they are right now, but you're still, you still run into that. You know, one of the number one things is dominance versus just getting a win. Um, and a lot of these systems reward dominance because dominance tends to be a better indication of whether or not you're a really good team. Right. 
so there's if you happen to be a team that ends up playing a bunch of sub 500 teams, your strength of schedule would be lower. And if you happen to play a team that is a you, you've played a bunch of teams that have winning records, your strength of schedule would be higher. Um, but that's an interesting to add that up 50 percent of the win-loss percentage plus 25% plus 12% all the way. I, I think the, a lot of those strength assist uh, schedule rating systems do something similar to this already. Like I do? think this might be the RPI calculation for basketball or something oh, okay. equivalent to it. Um, so this does happen um, at some level with a lot of these systems. He's, he's, he's um, saying going on to infinity, which I think would lose a lot of value once you get past once you even get past the 25%, but certainly once you get past the 12.5%, I don't think there's much value in going on beyond that, but yeah. um, you certainly could. Opponents, 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 yeah, yeah. whatever. So, yeah. There will be an 18 playoff, including the five Power Five champions, the highest group of five representative, and one at-large team, the highest-ranked team uh, not already in the playoff. I'm sorry, the highest-ranked team not already in the playoff. I disagree with David, who believes that the, quote, most deserving team is the same as the, quote, best team in terms of advanced metrics. I believe that the, quote, most deserving team should be defined as their win-loss record, strength of schedule, and conference championships. The only thing that should matter is winning and losing and how good, not how good you look doing it. Teams are seated in accordance to their ranking described above. But the objection there, again, is you can have a four or five loss team win a conference like that can happen. The ACC runs some joker out of the other division every single goddamn year. And if they happen to knock off Clemson one year, that doesn't mean suddenly that Duke should be in the playoff. Right. Right. Cause they've right. got all those losses you're talking about. I mean, they've got like four of them, but they should get in the playoff because they happen to knock off Clemson when they're, I don't know, their star quarterback goes down or something. I don't know. You, those are obvious eventualities that you have to prepare for with a system like this where you have auto bids. Um, again, it would seem you, like all the math he's doing, you wouldn't need auto bids in this system, but I don't know. Yeah, though that's the thing is if you believe in this system, you would just rank them, right? Based off that strength of schedule thing and have the top four teams or top eight teams or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but with the auto bids, it ends up um, uh, very likely, not every year, but very likely um, that you're going to end up with pretty regular, undeserved, like demonstrably undeserving people in the playoff. Yeah. All right. And then this part I'm going to love promotion and regulation, a uh, relegation. Sorry. Each Power Five conference is paired with a group of five conference, Pac 12 and Mountain West, SEC and Sunbelt, ACC and American. Big 12 and Conference USA, Big 10, and MAC. At the end of each season, the top two teams from each group of five conference become members of the corresponding Power 5 conference for the next season. And, of course, the bottom two teams from each Power 5 conference become members of the respective group of five conference. Uh, it is necessary to note that rivalries, rivalries will be preserved. So uh, after Arizona inevitably, inevitably gets regulated to the Mountain West, they'll still be able to schedule Arizona State as one of their out-of-conference opponents. That's so the one I, I, I love, like, without even, a, like, a simple reservation. I love that unilaterally. I think it's awesome. Let's do it right now. But here's the problem with that. It's too good. It's just great. It's amazing. Like, yes, we want it. There's no problem. Yes. Tomorrow. I, want it to- yeah, <laughs> I think it'll be so fun. 
Uh, so constituents, Ryan and David, what else would you like to see given that I'm not going to budge on these adjustments above forks up Sparky's roommate? Honestly, I think Ryan and I, uh, if you just gave us promotion and relegation, we would be fine. Don't even change anything else. Fine. Whatever. I want to see the situation where UCLA ends up getting its butt kicked in the mountain West as a sadist, as a, you know, a masochist. I want to see that. I want to see UCLA going to Air Force and just getting mollywopped. That's what I want to see in life. Like finishing like whatever. How many teams are even in the Mountain West? Two and seven in conference? Whatever. In the Mountain West, that would be funny. I want to see that before I die. Let's do it. I mean, the like real issue, though, I mean, if you have some conferences that have 10, you know, it's, it's going to be worse than the Big 12, right? Like a higher percentage of teams are going to get relegated. Than in the SEC. Yeah. Um, well, so you have to even that out somehow, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the the reality is the only way a system like this ever happens is if there's a cohesive college football league that includes all of these different conferences, these different divisions of it, and that there is some effort made to make it more evenly distributed. So... That means not a 14-team league here and not a 16-team league here, but all, whatever, 12-team units so that it works out evenly. Otherwise, yeah, yeah you do end up with, um, again, some inequities in a sport that's, you know, got a lot of equity issues. Cool. Good email, Sparky. Oh, that was really great. Uh, this is from Matthew. Presidential atrocities. All right, so now we're back in our wheelhouse. <laughs> Hello, Dave and Ryan. I wanted to bring up the recent news about presidential health that should anger us all. Specifically, I'm referring to the recent passing of Leon Gardner Tyler Jr., one of President Tyler's two remaining grandchildren. May we see many more years of good health for Harrison Ruffin Tyler, a spry 91-year-old who provides a living link to a simpler time 180 years ago when politics were just as nasty, but without social media. Yeah, that's something... I, I, it, it, it is worth remembering that on the eve of the Civil War, um, a Southern uh, senator walked into the Senate chambers and beat the ever-loving shit out of another senator with his cane to the point where Charles Sumner, the man who got beaten, was never the same. Like, full-on probably had what we would now know as brain damage from just being absolutely shelled by this old dude with a cane. That's... Whatever you say about politics, not happening like that anymore. No, uh, that would be big news. That would that would make the, the Twitter. I mean, rise. I would I would I would watch it. I would tune in to C-SPAN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it uh, is it Lion Tyler or is it Leon? Is it? I'm going Leon because Lion Lion isn't a name um, that I'm familiar with or one that I want to read. But it's certainly spelled L Y O N. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm not going to call him Lion Tyler. Um, <laughs> so he's Leon. He's dead now. He can't tell us any different. All okay. right. In other news, now that the Pac-12 season is about to start, should we do another suicide pool? I say yes. Since we have a shortened season, I would suggest making it more cutthroat and have players pick two teams each week. That way, anyone who makes it through the six already scheduled games will have picked every team and earned the right to declare themselves a champion. I would be happy to organize it again if you'd like. Keep it up, Matthew from Mountain View. I'm in. Yeah, do it. Organize it. Yeah. So two. Yeah, you do it, Matthew. You know the, the drill. We can't do much work. Um, yeah, just do it like we did last year. But okay, you'd have to pick two every week. 
Uh, yeah, and then six weeks, 12 teams, boom. We've done the math. It works out. Uh, all right. That would be, I mean, we might, we'll be losing. I like to two though, because then it's not like everybody's doing the same thing. There's, there's most likely going to be a lot of deviations, you know? Yeah. All right. We'll end with Chris from Seoul. Could it happen? Hi, guys. No offense intended. When everyone says, someone says that, there's going to be some attempts. Right. Right? I saw a quote from uh, Carl Sagan that seemed to fit the podcast. I'm not sure exactly how, but now I cannot listen to you two without it coming to mind. So too much openness, and you accept every notion, idea, and hypothesis, which is tantamount to knowing nothing. Too much skepticism, especially rejection of new ideas before they are adequately tested, and you're not only unpleasantly grumpy, but also close to knowledge. The former sentence seems to speak to advocating for expanding the playoffs, and the latter sentence seems to speak to confirmation bias, just saying. What are you making out of that? I got nothing, man. He's the one who's been accusing me of confirmation bias for like three straight weeks because he brought up some data about Korea and related it to the coronavirus epidemic in oh. the United States, which is obviously a specious comparison. Uh, he's, uh, you know, it's whatever. Uh, he, he thinks I have confirmation bias. He obviously is demonstrating confirmation bias. We both are probably correct. It doesn't matter. It's the same inane argument everyone is having constantly in all sorts of medium. I'm tired of it. You can keep sending emails with this stuff. It's fine. Uh, and then he's talking shit about you, too. All right. I like it. A uh, bit of background to my question. First, the AP poll has North Carolina above the Ducks. BYU above. I'm sorry. North Carolina above the Ducks. BYU above USC. Perceptions of the Pac-12 are lower than ever. Second, on November 7th, the Big Ten and Mountain West teams should have gotten the jitters behind them, and the SEC, ACC, and even the Big 12 will be in mid-season form. Third, Pac-12 champ and the season uh, prep seem quite tentative and low-key. Some Navy-like first-game performances are possible. Finally, all the Pac-12 games somewhere on Fox and ESPN are available for most of the country to watch. All that read and said, do you think, as I fear, the Pac-12 will look Bush League Compared to other conferences, also Arizona State USC will set initial perceptions. Is that game more likely to be cleanly played or more of a gong show? Stay safe and keep up the good work, your loyal listener, Chris from Seoul. I think it depends on what you mean by Bush League. I mean, they're all getting like about a month of prep, which I I know there's a lot of smoke blown about. They need like seven months and like, you know, carefully pampered the entire time. A month is a lot of practice. I know some of the guys might be a little bit out of shape. What you're going to see is, I think even what you're seeing still in the NFL a little bit, which is guys maybe looking a little bit more winded by the end of games that you would otherwise see. But I don't think there's going to be any less sharpness at the beginning of the season for the Pac-12 than there is relative to any other season. Like, I think there's plenty of practice time to get your schemes installed and all that kind of crap. Now, what might be interesting is the visual discordance between you're watching a midseason game for whoever, the Big 12, right, on November 7th. But you're also watching the first game of the season for USC and ASU. So I think that visual discordance is going to be weird because maybe that game does look a little bit. It looks more like maybe the game Texas played in the opening week, right? But it doesn't look like the way Texas is playing now, whatever, six, seven games into the year. So you might have that issue, but I don't anticipate the Pac-12 looking any less ready 
than any of these leagues have looked at the very beginning of the season. And I would say none of those teams, I don't think anybody's looked like shit. Like, they've all looked fine. Um, it's not like the sport is, you know, completely devolved in quality. I haven't noticed a super overabundance of penalties or just, like, weird timing issues or anything like that. It just it seems like football. And um, so I don't anticipate the Pac-12 being anywhere anything different. Yeah, I think you, you do get to learn a little bit more of how things are handled. And it's going to be a different time by the time that rolls around, too. You know, And who knows? There might be games canceled every other week or every week. Who knows? There and might not even be a season. We have no idea. We, do, we don't know. But I do like I, – I, I think the 9 a.m. thing for USC and Arizona State. Arizona State has done a lot of work, a lot of prep. USC is a talented team. I think you have a pretty good – pretty good likelihood that that is going to be a decent game you know and you you've got returning quarterbacks so it's not like you're breaking in a new qb or anything so you're putting your best foot forward um and it's an opportunity to showcase the pac-12 but if that's a you know entertaining game it might help the rest of the pac-12 and i do i'm one of those people that feel like you're some random fan in georgia and you're flipping through the you know it's it's noon or whatever and Ah, there's uh, Purdue Rutgers and there's, uh, you know, Iowa State Baylor or something. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch USC Arizona State. Like, they're playing at 9 freaking a.m. Like, may, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's something that the average college football fan that might not normally watch a Pac-12 might want to watch it just because it's a little bit different than what normally would be out there. Yeah, agreed. So I think, I, I don't know. I don't, I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be a fun year and um, I don't, I don't think it's going to be so clearly like Bush compared to the other leagues that anybody with any kind of discernment would even notice. Yeah. You know, just I'm so mad that I forgot to play this, but. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always death. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kicking myself for not playing that. So I had to play it before we go. We did get to play some I, drops, I though. That. Yeah. We got to play the drops of the uh, Pacific Northwest schools. A lot of action-packed show. So Dave. much happening. We, jeez, uh, almost went two hours. Well, we're there back you go. In, we're back in mid-season form. We are. And uh, so we still got to do uh, the Bay Area schools in the north and then all the south teams. So we'll do that over the next couple episodes. We need to do our pick show. So we might have to do two in a week or we might just combine those into two shows. But we appreciate all the questions. And uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. And uh, Dave? Thanks for just being you. Oh, Ryan, thank you for being you. <laughs> uh, also, and thank you for thanking me for being me. <laughs> uh, we're not going to get into that. Uh, opponents of opponents of opponents of opponents. 50%, 12.5%, <laughs> 6.25%, 3.125%. Just go all the way down. Yeah. Um, Sweet stuff. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time. Ah!